Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Hi, I'm Ali and I am here today after a summer's hiatus of uh, being away and actually finishing writing a manuscript, which I've now been assured by my editor I can actually call a book. So that's a very good uh, stage to get to. So I am really fortunate today to be joined by Claire Lynch. Claire is the author of Small on Motherhoods, which is a stunning um, memoir it is experimental, it is uh, absolutely, just blew my mind when I read it, it's absolutely beautiful, I think is probably the best way to describe this book. The attention to detail in the prose from start to finish is absolutely wonderful. Claire is a university lecturer, an academic and critic, and this is her first book for a general audience, and what a book it is. So today we are going to be talking about it. Obviously, um, it is called Small, and it's very clever because there's absolutely nothing small about this book, and I think that that's what's so beautiful to it. It has this kind of minute attention to detail. It's almost um, little clues interspersed throughout the book. Um, it is. It starts with um, these chapters, which I'd love to talk to you about, Claire. So to begin with the structure, you've got lots of um, quite short chapters, but they're all um, really kind of detailing different parts of motherhood, but also I feel different parts of childhood as well. So can you talk a little bit about how you structured the book and went about this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I am so delighted to be on this podcast because I'm a, a huge fan. Um, the, the the structure and the uh, the chapter titles, I think, are they were really the moment when the idea came together for me, really, and when I had this, you know, uh, revelation, this kind of uh, organising principle that suddenly meant I knew <laughs> finally uh, how the book could be organised. So. Um, the overall book is called Small, and so it allowed me to, to sort of have these chapter titles that were, you know, the small hours of the night or the small changes that take place in a life, um, the small victories of occasionally when you feel a moment of uh, control as a parent, which is a fleeting moment, a small <laughs> one. Um, and I think it also is about, um, you know, the book in some ways is just a, is a book about perspective, really. So it's about those you know, there's huge moments in our lives like becoming parents, but really they come down to this smallest of things like two cells meeting. And, you know, I think many parents will have this experience that the, the living with small children and the introducing new people to the world is all about suddenly recognising that it's the smallest of things that they need to learn about. It's the smallest of things that they bring to your attention. Um, so sometimes in the book, this is the, you know, the kind of uh, the, the beauty of those kind of moments when children are, are bringing you all of their tiny things that they collect in the garden or seeing insects for the first time mm -hmm. and trying to make sense of them. But I think you realise when you're living through that, that those small things are not small things to them, mm -hmm. you know, that they're the ways into the world and that you have to somehow <laughs> remember that and kind of re, you know, reconfigure how you're looking at the world mm -hmm. to, to, to help them in that initial making sense. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the chapter titles, I think, were a real, once they came, you know, were, mm -hmm. were, were a gift in a way as well, because they let me uh, break the story up into these, you know, smaller sections too, mm -hmm. you know, so each one can have its own focus that hopefully contributes to the story overall. Which absolutely, because it's still told in this kind of very linear fashion. But I love that you just said um, that it's about perspective, because I feel that the whole book, to a certain extent, is a book about perspective as well. Um, you really shifted the perspective. What I found amazing about the early sections of the book up until the birth of the babies is you're in a same-sex partnership. And so obviously your experience of conception is a different experience that I didn't have a lens into and so to get this perspective I felt was absolutely incredible and then you are operating in this kind of because you're not carrying the babies 
that you begin to operate in this kind of, I suppose, for want of a cliched word, you're in this liminal space. Mm. Um, and to have a narrator who's inhabiting that completely shifted my own perspective as a reader. How important was it to you to bring that to the page? Well, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad to, to, to hear you say that, really, because I think that's that's very much the point in a way. I think it's oh. uh, it's a book about becoming a mother, but also, you know, often those stories are told through the experiences of pregnancy and the experiences of childbirth. And, you know, not all mothers become mothers through those, you know, rites of passage. And I think the book allows space for that. It allows a sort of, as you say, a kind of a perspective, which is, um, you know, and, and one of the things that I suppose the book deals with is, is the tension of sometimes that was a looking on and a working out what was my place in, in that situation mm -hmm. and at other times it's a a, a, a reinvention so if there are two mums mm -hmm. in a family what does that mean for uh, my partner and I what does it mean in terms of kind of who does what mm -hmm. <laughs> or what does it mean in terms of how we how we frame that for the children also so yeah it's it's a it's a the the, the shifting perspective for readers is also I suppose the experience that it was to live through you know mm -hmm. that it was um, uh, a, a really joyful reimagining in many ways, but also I suppose sometimes in the book there's a, a kind of a knocking up against when people have a very fixed idea, a very fixed perspective mm. of what it is to be a mother. If you are, um, you know, if, if you're reshaping that in some way in, in your family, and there's lots of different ways in which parents might be reshaping those traditional roles. Um, you know, there's the finding ways to narrate that, I guess, in real life and in books mm. is 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 a really interesting challenge, I think. Because there's that scene, which is a very quite a painful scene to read and you narrate it quite funnily as well. But when you're at this awful antenatal class and the woman literally doesn't know where to put you. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I uh I definitely took the option there of kind of trying to make it as humorous as possible to, uh, I mean, because partly it just was funny. I mean, it's also, it was also very difficult, I suppose, but yeah, I mean, for the antenatal class teacher, there was very much, um, you know, mums do one job and dads do another. And in the, in the physical layout of the room that, you know, that meant in a literal sense, mums sit in one group at one end of the hall and dads need to sit in another because the idea that they would somehow share information, <laughs> you know, could be kind of disruptive and dangerous and so she yeah literally did not know where to kind of tell me to be I suppose and I think that's a really um I think it's a really valuable uh, part of the book in a sense because it also draws our attention to the fact that you know that's not really how any parents operate right exactly. you know and it's it, yeah. you know, it, it just makes the point that you know she's also excluding the dads in that group mm -hmm. from really valuable information or from meaningful discussions that would have helped them and you know, all all that that did was was I think kind of shine a light on the idea that if you're so fixed in some concept of what it is mm -hmm. parents do based purely on the idea of gender, then you're gonna, you know, only limit people. Yeah, really. So I think also the book allows a little bit of space for that. It's really interesting that sometimes it's um, dads who've read the book who say to me that it was nice to see mm -hmm. a bit of an admission that sometimes you know the parent who is not giving birth wants to talk about what that's going to be like for them or yeah you know a parent who's not giving birth wants to work out what's going to actually happen to me on a sort of philosophical level too how am i going to change and what's that going to mean in my life uh, and so you know i like i like the way that the book is a bit subversive in that way really it kind of lets people have those conversations you know whether or not this is your experience it allows that that discussion to take place mm -hmm. i think and i think that's very much what the book did to me was it kind of shows the the stupidity really of holding on to these very fixed ideas of who does what of purely based on gender mm -hmm. or who's carried the baby and there's not very much kind of fluidity in that and you just think my goodness this needs to change for all parents because it's such a um such a seismic shift in your life when you become a parent and I think that what was also really interesting was your perspective on birth because again you were the watcher but you are so invested during the birth as partners are 
um, that to have it narrated from somebody who is experiencing it outside of their body um, was again a really kind of profound way of narrating something but like you say it was it becomes quite subversive as well yeah thank you I mean I, th I think the um, I mean I'm, I'm in, in in no way here to uh, <laughs> to diminish the bravery of people who give birth that's absolutely the you know an, in, an, an incredible feat um, but it is interesting I think to kind of do that shift of perspective and to say the person exactly that the person who is um, you know standing there witnessing their whole world go through this especially if things are not going quite to plan or yeah. if there is you know a, a sudden responsibility to to be the person who's going to need to do the talking for example or mm -hmm. the person who's going to need to respond um you know in those initial few hours and i think you know it goes back to the question of the antenatal class right yes that in a sense it's all the more important you know if mm -hmm. you're if you are are there in that role that you kind of have a sense of what it is you are meant to do well exactly because i think you really highlight how in the antenatal class the the fathers are quite diminished they're kind of given this can you manage to switch on the oven basically you can heat up a pizza can't you and that seems to be about the extent of it they don't really get talked through what might actually be happening to them and i think giving birth is its own sort of trauma but i think witnessing it is also equally its own kind of trauma too and yeah you're you're really highlighting this kind of lack of of very much that's given to the partner who's who's watching yeah i mean i i think it's there's there's definitely space for for that to improve but i think it's also mm. it's just the you know in if if there's a situation where you know there are two parents it's also about saying you know both feeling ready to begin from that first moment right mm. so well, you know, there's a lot of yeah you know what what happens if you know for example in the you know in the in the, in the book it's the case that the babies are whisked off to um to the neonatal intensive care unit and i and you know we weren't ready for that no parents are really ready for that but, um, you know, if that's the case or if it's the case that, you know, the non-birth parent needs to kind of snap into action mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty, pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of space for that kind of practical stuff, but also just the more um, emotional question of how are you going to be ready to see yourself in a different light? You know, because I think that's mostly how people experience it, right? Kind of mm -hmm. almost that, that moment, that yeah. moment the baby is suddenly in the room. Mm -hmm. you've, got to, you've got to be ready to do what's necessary and I think allowing all parents to have the thinking space for that mm -hmm. is as important as saying do you know where to park at the hospital and do you know how to warm up a bottle you know all of that's yes. important but it's, it's maybe, kind of yeah it, it's imagining of, well I was just thinking it's that kind of thinking of the psychological impact mm -hmm. or, or what you might have to do instead of the practical bits yeah and I, these kind of classes are always very focused on the practicalities but maybe not the actual realities of the situation yeah yeah and i mean i think that's something that i'm, I'm trying to get out with the, the book isn't it that you know there's a lot of um practical mundane work to do when you're a parent you know right this minute i'm half thinking are the uniforms for beavers clean is the swimming kit gone in the wash <laughs> you know like all of that has to happen to you but you know there are also these kind of hugely profound moments where you know you suddenly feel as if you're experiencing the world for the first time or your you know a toddler says something to you that kind of completely blows your mind and i yeah. think there's space for more stories about parenthood that allow us to to admit that actually yes to, uh, to say yeah. that contradiction is really difficult sometimes mm -hmm. to be in those two spaces at once and if, if all we do is think about the practical i think we do a bit of a disservice to the you know the more exceptional kind of experience mm -hmm. of it too and that's a brilliant word that you use because I think that's definitely what comes across, particularly when your girls are getting a bit bigger and they are showing you the world in this new way. And you you talk about how you, when you're young and you make this kind of pledge to yourself that you'll never forget. And then of course we forget and our children kind of bring this new light to the world and they do make it exceptional. Um, but I think what you make quite exceptional is that you've managed to capture both sides you've managed to capture the 
the difficulties, but you've really managed to capture the joy. And I think that that makes this something uh, quite unique in the kind of space of parenting books, because I think a lot of people are kind of sick to the back teeth of the narrative of, oh, my kids drive me to drink, or let's kind of poke fun at the children. This is very human. It feels like you're experiencing your children on the level of that these are little people. They're not something that you have diminished. Everything in the book is small. You become small yourself as the narrator because you're you're on the level with the children. Um, were you conscious of trying to do that, of conveying that at the time? When I was writing, I, I made a sort of uh, pact with myself that I had to feel I had to feel confident that anything that they read about themselves in the future, mm. they would feel, you know, uh, the truth of it, mm-hmm. that they would recognize it, but also that they wouldn't feel patronized or embarrassed or, you know, that I wouldn't reveal anything that I thought was, um, was exactly that, that was kind of, t- I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk down to them in the book or about mm-hmm. them because, you know, one, I mean, you know, Maybe they won't be bothered and it would be the last book on earth they'd ever touch when they're older. But, you know, the idea was that that was the kind of ground rule that I had to have in mind. Um, and I think I was also, yeah, I just as you say, I was kind of conscious of this narrative that it's easy, isn't it, to kind of uh, to complain and say all it is is hardship. You know, mm-hmm. all, it, all it is is the kind of the, the, the washing and the school run and all of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, but I think sometimes those moments where you do have these remarkable conversations or, you know, these experiences, I think sometimes when that happens, you think, why are people not writing about this more? Like, why is yes. this not, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> why is this not part of how we are encouraged to kind of see ourselves as humans in relation to to others? And I, and I just wanted that to be, you know, I just wanted that to be a part of it, really, because mm-hmm. I think that's, that's it's also so... Um, so of that time when they are very young I think mm-hmm. as well to kind of capture that while they're still young and I think maybe if I had left it longer you know I think it I think it would be hard to kind of come back to yeah you know in, you, in a few years time but I think so because they become different people and you capture it so well um and I found it quite raw to read because you do capture those early days and you kind of you take the reader on a journey from the very early days into kind of the magical part of it once you get past the sleepless nights and all the, the playgroups um, and all of that. And I thought that that was really so beautifully done, but it almost made me a little bit nostalgic as well for the early days because my kids are getting bigger now mm. um, and and that's gone. And I saw exactly that when I was got to the end. I just thought, why aren't, why aren't there more books? Why isn't there more of this, of the really kind of just a very human, life-altering thing that motherhood is, what, whatever the journey to get there, whatever our mothering looks like, however we split the care. Um, yeah, I thought it was just absolutely beautiful, but it, it does. It feels like this should be the start of a new kind of motherhood. Yeah, I mean, thing. it's interesting, isn't it? I think the, the, the answer is, in a sense, the you're so busy with the experience of finding the time <laughs> to capture it in the middle of it is not an easy thing. So I think a part of it is just a practical thing that it's, uh, you know, n- no mean feat to do that. Um, and I'm, I mean, you know, that's not to say that I necessarily like had extra time, but I mean, I think that's partly why the book is small, right? That it was only possible to do because <laughs> it was small pieces kind of um. and, and sort of stitched together. I mean, but it's also that I don't think we kind of culturally allow those the, that, those conversations to take place, really. Mm. And, and that's that's significant, too. I mean, I, I, I talked about the book at a really brilliant book group a little while ago. And all of the mothers, they, they were had grown up children, children in their 20s and into their 30s. And it was an amazing experience to see them, everybody be kind of thrown back to this experience of and feeling feeling exactly that a kind of nostalgia but also a bit of a regret that you that you missed a chance to kind of capture your own experience of that mm-hmm. so i think it's a it's it's a thing we should encourage each other to do really as well it doesn't yeah. you know to find some way of 
you know, writing that down or the things that your children say even, or because it, it changes so quickly that it's amazing to look back, or even in the book, the things that are, our conversations that we've had would now, you know, even a couple of years, a year or so later, they wouldn't talk in that way now. Um, I think yeah. that's the thing. It's also fleeting, but you, you capture this kind of fleetingness. Mm. Um, and I love the, the scene where there's a, is it a house that's drawn on your window? Something's drawn on the kitchen oh, a lion, window. I think it was. That's yeah. what it was, but it was a good lion. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. It was still on the window, though, which is not ideal. Yeah. But I love that your daughter was kind of reasoning out the morals of it, but I didn't draw on the window, but look, I drew on the wall, which I thought just perfectly captures how they are at a particular age. Um yeah, it's hard and, to argue with that kind of logic, isn't it, really? You're like, well, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it's very hard <laughs> to argue with the logic of a child. <laughs> I often find particularly very bright, logical children. <laughs> yeah, you make a rod for your own back. Um, so you mentioned to me when we were chatting beforehand that there were other iterations of this book before it became what it became. I'm really intrigued by that because... As a reader, I'm receiving this book that is beautiful. And what I find also intriguing is how the prose is written as well, because it's it's not your kind of standard blocks of text. It's quite fragmentary, which again um, sort of highlights just the nature of, of motherhood and also of observing. Um, so it, it comes in such a stunning form that I think it's really interesting to consider it being something that was perhaps less successful so how was that yeah sure so it, it, it? well it, it it began as a as a very short piece it began um as an entry into the spread the word life writing competition yeah so it was just a, a few thousand words um and i was very lucky because it was highly commended and so spread the word published it on their website and that was where um Emma Finn, my agent, found it and contacted me and said, is there any more? You know, I'm interested in this. Right. So it started with that sort of, uh, you know, this kind of lovely beginning. And I thought, yeah, you know, I could write more of this. And Emma and I worked very hard on the proposal and uh, expanding out the story. Um, and we uh, went out on submission. And I had an experience, I think, I've heard other guests on this on this podcast describe really, which was really some lovely feedback from editors, you know, that they enjoyed the writing, mm -hmm. but a real kind of caution from particularly marketing departments mm. of publishers saying, we like it, we like it, but we don't know how we would sell it. Mm -hmm. And the feedback was really interesting because it was kind of two versions of the feedback. One was, it's a bit too niche. And we think only, you know, the, would only people who have this experience read this book? In which case there's probably not enough people we don't want to publish this book. Mm -hmm. And the other was maybe you're not kind of embracing this enough and maybe, you know, you should, the, the sort of aspect of uh, this being a story about two mothers should be more to the forefront and you need to kind of make more of that. So it was kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a bit too queer or it's not queer enough or whatever um. the kind of problem was. So there was a kind of rewriting and working on this. Um, but the more I think I tried to do what publishers were asking, the further I think it was getting away from what it should have been mm. and so we went through these kinds of rounds and I got very close with one great editor um who finally it was a kind of close but no cigar and it was the it was the week our youngest daughter was born oh my goodness and I kind of right. thought you know we had we had this conversation we thought you know what there's only so much <laughs> that anyone can do at any given time let's put this away and and you know maybe I, th I thought oh maybe in you know years later when they're older I'll write a different book or mm -hmm. Or maybe not. Maybe this has been like a fun experience to sort of have a toe in what publishing is like. And that's that's enough. And then um, in lockdown, it, we had so three children, three very small children. They were only still all of them at nursery age when we were in the first lockdown. Uh -huh. We were both trying to do full time jobs. And so in the few moments of uh, escape, I got really into listening to lots of writing podcasts and going to lots of those. You know, there were lots of kind of online mm -hmm. literary festivals. Yeah. And it was just just enough, I think, um, to allow me to kind of get this idea of the small concept and how I could rework uh. it. 
And I think it was also worth saying that it was partly because we were all in the house all the time that they also helped somehow to make it possible because I think the harder parts to write were for me much more possible when I could hear them playing outside or when yes. I could go back down, I could immediately go downstairs uh-huh. and see everyone was okay. It all worked out fine. Uh-huh. You know, spoiler, but you know, the, <laughs> you know, that, but it made, it made a huge difference to the, to the, to the writing, I think. And so it was in, I, in the summer and I sent it to, by this stage, not really knowing whether uh, my agent felt that she'd kind of done all she could for me and, you know, wished to never see me again. But luckily that wasn't the case. And it found then a perfect home straight away. Brilliant. So um, Romley Morgan was setting up a new imprint called Brazen and it was all about kind of stories that were unapologetic and stories that were, you know, the, the book worked really well with the idea that she had for it. And I think also she wanted to be a publisher who would contribute to the the writing of it in a really in a really empowering way actually so you know she saw the I, by that stage you know these kind of shorter pieces were how i wanted to write it and she gave me real permission to run with that in a way that many of the other versions of it had been doing the opposite really and saying how can you make it a little bit more mainstream a little uh-huh. bit more what we recognize and so, you know, this this version was possible because, you know, partly because it was with a publisher who let me really experiment. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's really worth saying that, you know, I had by that stage lived more of the story. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> there was there was also the sense that the material for the book was a different thing. Exactly. You know, they, they were still so tiny the first time round. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have you know, all of, all that we've been talking about this morning, these kind of conversations, they hadn't yet happened, right? Because mm-hmm. the children were still so small. It was just the kind of, you know, survival mode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I wanted to talk about it really because I think it's, uh, it's so often the case that it's frustrating at the time or you feel like you've missed your one opportunity mm-hmm. or, um, you know, what, what, what is it that you've got to do to kind of get over that final hurdle? But I think this, for me, it was absolutely the case that it was it was um, kind of ready when it was ready. Mm, I think that's a really brilliant point because I think sometimes people are so keen um, to get their story out there that there's not always this ability to wait until, like you say, until the story itself has actually happened because you've got this beautiful story on the page and, and you're third daughter's birth, um, mirroring your father's illness and, mm. you know, in terms of of plot and structure and all these technical things that you couldn't even have, I, I don't want to say hoped for better because it's a terrible thing to ask for from life, but it, it really was a beautiful arc that you managed to get in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, no, it's, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't have, you couldn't have made up that coincidence, I don't, <laughs> I don't think. Um <laughs> But exactly that, that had to, I had to have lived through that before mm-hmm. I could write that, obviously enough. But also I think, um, you know, to, to see the story in that way. And I think to also have written and rewritten it in these kind of more traditional ways, enough times to see that that wasn't working. You can get closer to yeah. what does. Mm. And, 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 and in order to also see things like, you know, memoir also needs kind of points of tension and uh you know moments where we're waiting to see what happens mm-hmm. and and I think um yeah I think I was that would have been impossible with those first versions yeah because I think that, that, yeah I think it's so important when we're looking at memoir it's not just the recounting of a series of events it has to have all these story I always think it's it is storytelling at sometimes it's most powerful and has such an ability to reshape the world when we're taking these personal stories but actually taking them beyond us into how it can act on society and one of the ways you do that is by bringing all the tools that you would use all these novelistic tools and you bring it into the memoir sphere um, which you absolutely do in the book but I think it's a brilliant point that you made of the book of the story being ready. When the story is ready, then you can write it. And sometimes it's these sticking points when you're writing that show us what's not quite ready or when we've not gone 
deep enough yeah. as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the, the the timing question, and this would be really different for different people, but I needed to be far enough away from it that I had sort of moved on from the more kind of, you know, traumatic or kind of mm-hmm. challenging parts of the experience. I was, you know, I, I was kind of past that and able to write about it, honestly, but close enough still that I was in the experience of them as young children. And I think, you know, other people's memoirs, you know, it might be you need to be 20, 30 years away uh, from the experience before you're ready to do that. Um, but I think sometimes if it's not working, maybe that's what's happening too, right? That you're uh-huh. not yet, you're not yet personally kind of in that, to go back to the idea of perspective, not quite yet ready to see exactly it's what it is seeing. that you want to, yeah. Yeah, because I think you need a certain distance to be able to be, a little bit more objective um, mm. on events so that you can kind of see them in, and you do this in the book, you see in a very 360 way. So you're seeing everything and your eye on the page isn't um, isn't all consuming. It's very much, it's through your lens, but it doesn't read like it's a book about you. It's a book about the children, your partner features very heavily in it. it, it it's about something far beyond you as well which I think that that perspective is definitely there but I spoke before I was signed I spoke to my editor about what I could do um, with the book and she spoke about this need as well for for enough distance but not so much distance so kind of getting that space right. Yeah it's not an easy thing is it I think and it and it's you know I, I was also very clear and, and it, you know, I'm not a very, you know, I'm not the interesting thing, (laughs) you know, in this, in this story or in, in, you know, in general, in fact. So, I mean, I think that's the the point is that getting that sense of, um, of how you want to tell the story is, is really, really crucial actually. And, you know, the, the other, it's, it's, it's far more about everybody else in my family. And, you know, i again in a very practical sense i needed them to have their voices i now realize um Uh, in order to capture them right so i mean to just if i'd just been describing them and not letting them kind of act or speak for themselves uh you know it would have been it would have been impossible yeah because they very much inhabit the page and i really like that very early on when you are going through ivf and you're talking about um an origin story and how important it is that your children have this really beautiful origin story that they're very much wanted, that you go to so much effort to bring them into the world. But the book as well acts as this really lovely way of capturing their early years as well as giving them this printed origin story. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think that was also... Um... You know, so, you know, there's, there's, there are many motivations, aren't there, when you're when you're writing and you're thinking who will read this. But I think knowing that it was so, you know, that it will that it that it is a version of 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 their origin story for them to come back to at some at some point possibly. Um, since I'm saying this, I have very little faith in their interest in reading this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just normal you know, to them, isn't it? Just, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, just a given, isn't it, to be as rebellious as possible and do the opposite thing that your your parents are interested in. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think that 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 is the case, and I think it's um, you know that it's there are there are many beginnings, I think, in the in in the book, and and those sorts of there's the you know the kind of the biological beginning is one thing. And I think when you're going through IVF, you're very tied up in that idea and very conscious of that. And you sort of have to, I think sometimes you have a very long build up to the idea of becoming parents way before mm. it's a real kind of pressing reality. And so, you know, there can be years and years of kind of thinking about um, what kind of parents will we be or, you know, uh, what kind of changes is this going to have on our lives way, way before it actually has any impact mm-hmm. on your on your life in that sense and that kind of um that that sort of strange sense of being kind of parents in waiting is something you know worth capturing because i think the the story that kind of comes next which is the, the their real beginnings mm-hmm. um you know and it's making me think i suppose also you know I try and touch on this a little bit that there's also a sense in which if the, there could have been many versions of this book just as there could have been many versions of our family. Mm. So I think the point is also to say that the, 
you know, all of the things that had to go wrong first in both of those kind of scenarios mm-hmm. are, are kind of necessary. They're necessary, right? Because mm-hmm. the things that went wrong led you to the thing that was right in the, in the end, you know, yes. so for whatever loss comes, you know, that was necessary to go through because, you know, these are the children who, mm-hmm. who kind of found us also. Exactly. You know? That's the, yeah. that's the, you can't have one without the other. No, and I think you deal with that really elegantly in the book, um, closer to the end, where you're talking about the loss that you experienced um, and how you, you're basically saying, but you, you couldn't change that because you wouldn't get what you've got. And so, and it's a, again, it's perspective. It's looking at life in this kind of perspective that actually all the losses that we incur are kind of what brings us to this part that we're at in our life that we eventually get to. Um, yeah yeah and and this is the thing is that you never you know very few people i think are kind of wise enough to know that at the time are they you're not kind of going through you know an experience of loss or grief and thinking well this will all work out fine in the end and i'm you know i'm happy to go through this misery for the potential joy it might bring me in the future you know that's not how life works but hopefully you know or you know i suppose that's the the gift of of when you're writing memoirs that you may be able to go back and say now I look at it now I can see you know mm-hmm. now I can even you might say now I can apply a narrative structure to it that allows me to see it in that way mm-hmm. you know that in itself is a kind of healing thing you know mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to kind of capture that and to say you know those things are also part of the experience and you know to to allow those to exist in it because they are the things ultimately led to mm-hmm. where you wanted to be i think that's a really important point of kind of hanging your life on a narrative structure can give you new insights into mm. into the life that's been lived that you can then bring to other people as well um i found when i was writing my memoir that I wanted to throw things at people when they told me it must be so cathartic i thought oh, it's not this is basically banging my head against a desk every single day till I feel nothing at all. Um, but there was a certain, I don't want to say wisdom, but there was a certain insight maybe that emerged. And I'm sure it was the structuring of it made it feel that life, life does have explanations. And my editor was very good at that because she kept asking me, but why did you do this? You're not making any sense here. This doesn't make sense. So how much was your editor involved in um, in making your life make sense? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big responsibility, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think I think all of the people who were involved in it, and I think that level of collaboration we often don't think of when we're when we're reading but you know agents and editors and line editors and copy all of the people who are asking these questions in various different ways um uh yeah i think made a huge difference and sometimes i mean i also should say that one of the most important readers was also my partner who i obviously let read every draft before i sent it to um the uh for, for for editing because uh you know i needed it to be our story in those kind mm-hmm. of ways and i needed her to feel that she was um represented in the way that she wanted to be but i have to say mostly she was saying you're not um she was the person who was able to say to me uh you know you're not going quite far enough there mm-hmm. you're holding back from saying what that was really like or you know it's not going to work if you don't um you know like uh, permission i suppose mm. um which which then the other people reading who were not who didn't share the experience were able to then i think see you know see those points too and to say you know can you make this make more sense or you know sometimes you can't can you sometimes you're you're needing to say this was an irrational thing yes <laughs> that that i did mm-hmm. um and I'm owning it now, but with some retrospect, maybe we could make it make more sense. Um, but yeah, it's it's absolutely the case that it was it's not it, it wasn't a process of me saying, "Allow me to present to you a completed version of of this experience." Mm-hmm. But th- those people were all completely essential yeah. in making sure that whatever internal version I had 
would also make sense to somebody mm-hmm. else and you know that's that's a crucial crucial part i think um practically and and on that kind of emotional level that you need to somehow be sure that you are um yeah com- conveying that and it's difficult isn't it because you don't really in in general life put words on those experiences no and we don't generally put words on them um it's it's quite often a retrospective process and trying to enter into uh the past the space of the past isn't necessarily an easy thing to do and i wanted to talk to you about that because it is so minutely observed and one of the points that i found it the most powerful was um, the scene at the river. I found obviously the whole book is powerful and the birth scenes in particular were harrowing, um, but so sparsely done in terms of the prose, but what you're conveying with very little is a lot. But the scene when you're at the river and uh, a boy drowns, another spoiler alert, which was is a horrific scene, but you boil it down to the friends, the stretcher, the blanket, and just this ability to convey so much and to see so much. Were you keeping diaries? Were you writing at the time? Because it feels like uh, the reader is right next to you when we're reading this. So, Mm. yeah, were you taking notes? I was taking notes for, for some things. So... For example, when the the twins were born and they were in hospital, I was taking notes, not because I was trying to think I might write a book about this one day, um, but because I needed to, I I, I felt so overwhelmed. I was worried I wouldn't remember the things I needed to remember. So I was taking notes more about, you know, uh, what are the oxygen rates or what medication have they taken? And while I was doing that, I would also, I think just as a coping mechanism or to stay awake, uh, would also kind of cap- capture the, you know, just on my phone, just writing notes about uh-huh. what, what was happening. The, the the scene at the river was a very different thing, actually. That I I didn't I, I didn't take notes on that at the time, but it was um, just such an experience of feeling as if you are witnessing the 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 most significant tragedy in another uh, person's another family's life. Yeah. And you're, you just happened to be, we were just going for a, a walk. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was a, we, we, we lived right by the river. And those moments where you feel as if you're, you know, your life and somebody else's life are just, a, you know, a piece of mm-hmm. paper away. And I'm, I'm doing this kind of gesture, yeah. which is no good on a podcast, but you know, that your, your, your kind of mundane could day could be somebody mm-hmm. else's life changing day and, and vice versa, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think, um the details of it I think were just seared on my memory and I think they were that happened because you know we it was close to when the the babies were born and I think suddenly that that to to go back to this idea of kind of feeling prepared to be a parent suddenly that kind of recognition that also being a parent is to open yourself up to that fear of loss yes and to recognize that for all of the um the the kind of overwhelming love and the kind of profound feeling of you know making sense of the world you are also then for the rest of your life I think probably mm-hmm. anxious yes <laughs> or or you know aware that mm-hmm. what you hold is 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 um you know always at risk yes and so I think I think seeing that at that particular time in in my life I think just to witness that happening to somebody else I think was just um was why it just it just held in that way Mm. and you mirror that later in the book it kind of becomes a bit of a repeating refrain this idea that the these ordinary days are someone else's extraordinary day and then when your father receives his liver transplant you so beautifully go into that you know somebody else that same Mm. day that you have very good news has the worst news this is kind of acknowledgement of the balance of the world yeah and I mean I just I'm I think that's once you if you see the world in that way once that kind of happens to you it's very difficult to to sort of snap out from that observation I think and I mean yeah. I, I, you know for any of us when we think of those days that have been life-changing um 
you know that that moment of um you know any of those any of those moments in the book i suppose that moment of uh our, our when our third daughter is born and the the panic in the room about whether or not she's breathing mm-hmm. is, is also just another work day for all of those people in that yeah in that room right and so however whatever sense of um uh, of panic we experienced you know it's very difficult to gauge another person who's uh kind of immune to that experience yeah. <laughs> uh you know even those kind of different that the different sense of urgency about those those moments is also mm-hmm. just a reminder isn't it that we're all kind of constantly moving between these days of nothingness yes and days of extreme you know you kind of intense experience mm-hmm. and that we're all experiencing the world constantly in these very different ways as well exactly that, that. Exactly. it's a day yeah. but it's full of just so many experiences which i suppose um sums up motherhood so well as well but it it is this constantly varying experience for everybody who's a mother we're all mediating it in different ways um but nevertheless you manage to kind of capture something that definitely for me felt like the kind of essentialness the essence of of being a mother regardless of of how you get there I just I felt that you just yeah it's absolutely beautiful I I couldn't put it down I was completely glued to it and I think like you say I think it's a book that doesn't belong just to mothers I think because you open that space that it's certainly a book that uh should appeal to partners fathers it, it it's a book that works for so many people so, um, I'm so glad you think so. That's great. Oh, I think it's absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, brilliant book. Now, usually at this stage, I forgot to warn you beforehand, usually we talk about what we've been reading. Um, and so have you been reading anything that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, yeah I have been. I'm, I'm um, well, on my bedside table, I'm reading a a novel by a, a little-known author called Sally Rooney. I'm I'm just kicking Never off. Heard of her. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's not ha- had much uh, exposure, so you might want to look that up. But I'm just beginning with Beautiful World. Where are you? And I'm I'm really really enjoying these kind of epic emails between friends, which kind of reminds me of there is a stage of life where it's possible to communicate with your friends in these kind of long, uh, unwieldy uh, kind of communications. Um, so I'm kind of feeling nostalgic for that, really. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm only, I'm only just beginning. Um, but the, actually, I, I read a really um, book I read yesterday, actually, short, really short book. Is this Mary Gates Skill's Lost Cat? Which oh, I just have yeah, I've not read right it, next to me. but heard of it. Yeah, lots of people will have probably read it as, a, it's really just an essay, um, but it's just been republished by Daunt Books in a book form. And it's a tiny, tiny book. It's less than 100 pages. Um, which I'm very much in favour of, really, because you get the satisfaction of just being like, I just read a book yesterday, know, five minutes ago. You feel so smug, don't you? Yeah, yeah. When, when really, I mean, it's <laughs> cheating. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting kind of, it's a book of memoir, but it's, a, it's kind of troubling, really. So it's ostensibly about uh, the author searching for a, a cat that she's adopted and then uh, loses, or the cat leaves, runs away, whatever happens to the cat, we don't really know but it allows her to weave in this story of another kind of loss, a loss of some children who she was sort of involved in their lives, partly fostering them. So there's this kind of parallel sense of, you know, things that you love not being quite within your grasp or no matter how much you're, you're sort of offering up kind of comfort and um, opportunity to these other living things that doesn't mean that they necessarily are going to kind of conform to that and mm-hmm. and uh, come to you. So it's kind of disturbing in some ways because you sort of think this is a this is a lot to put on a lost cat. Um, but it's just really interesting to me that that sort of form as well that you can take one uh, what seems to be a kind of quite sort of superficial life experience and mm-hmm. allow it to give you space to tell the story about something much yeah. bigger. I love it when people manage to kind of do that sort of framing device of getting something else in yeah, it's very it's, it's, very it's, clever it is very clever yeah 
Yeah. So I'm 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 recommending not just because it's short. I mean, I don't want to give the impression I'm too lazy to read a long book, but you know, um, it's it's good in all sorts of ways. I'll need to look it out. I am um, I love a short book, um, and I've just so just um, finally kind of signed off on the first, well, not the first, a year of edits. So book is just going off to copy edits now while well, it's going to be legal first or it should be a joy and then copy edits but um yeah so my brain is just i think a short book might be good because yeah. my brain is kind of feeling that effects of not stopping for a year i'm reading at the moment though ironically saying i love a short book i'm reading a book that's um 800 pages long i'm reading uh david keenan's monument maker which is a stunning book it is a feat of um madness and tenacity and complete genius it's it's an amazing book don't even know quite how to describe it but i think that's that's what the book is trying to be it's a very elusive book um and is absolutely beautiful and incredible and um rhythmic and gorgeous in a way that only a book that's that long could do sometimes you need that space that expansiveness mm. it's a brilliant book for all my fake descriptions of it i would very much recommend it um so that's kind of taking up any free space that i have in my brain but um that's, that sounds like a great recommendation i feel like i, I owe the universe a long a long read now so <laughs> it's i think it's kind of it be great like um in the winter christmas holidays when mm. you've got all these grand ambitions of sitting down to read and then other yeah. small people swarm mm. them um yeah but thank you so much for coming and talking today because it's just yeah it's an absolutely brilliant book and i would much recommend it so it is small by Claire Lynch and it's on Octopus Books on their brazen imprint. Is that correct? Yes. That's so correct. Yeah. Thank you I for would... having me. Oh no, it's been lovely. Thank you so much. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Pleasure. It's been great. Thank you. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can find show notes, including the best ways to get in touch with us, as well as any reading recommendations mentioned in the episode at nottoobusytowrite.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe. And please go ahead and leave us a little review. It really helps others to find the podcast. You can find Ali on Instagram at Ali underscore Miller underscore writes and Penny at Penny Windsor. Music and editing is by Ewan Miller McMeekin.